gagner cette morue Un salon petit croquet Prends ça Oh Je vais te transpercer Regarde, Wendy Maudit mon gars Hé hey, hé Monsieur Crocodile Vous aimez la morue Et toi Petit tâté de l'acier Crochet Fais ta prière Welcome to episode 18 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson and I'm joined by Simon West. Hello again. Again, for the like second time in a month, what's going on? Each We've ma- been very busy. <laughs> Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast episode will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on Peter Pan's flight. We will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. But obviously you know that already because you've listened to that plenty of times before. Have you, has the uh, information about Walt Disney Studios Park sunk in yet, Simon? No. No, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I also, I just really want some more details as well. I mean, don't we all? But I want to, yeah, I want to find out more. I want to know how big this lake's going to be. I want to know how expansive the Star Wars land is going to be. I want to know what on earth is going to be in the Frozen land. Oh, I'm so excited. I want to know when it's all going to be built. But anyway, that's not what this is about. We've got to, got to move on back to a, a nice, a nice classic staple Disneyland attraction to sort of bring us back to our roots after uh, a little... I say little, two and a what two and a half hour excursion talking about what may or may not happen in the future. Future of Walt Disney Studios. It was fun though. It's amazing how you can talk about one piece of concept art for two hours forty minutes. It's such a beautiful piece of concept art. Oh, we're getting we're digressing. <laughs> it's not good already. <laughs> right, Peter Pan's flight um, obviously opened in April or on April the twelfth, nineteen ninety two, with the park. It is located in Fantasyland of the Disneyland Park uh, or Park Disneyland, depending on who you're talking to um, it's created by Intamin Worldwide which is a Swiss company and it is a suspended dark ride so um, can you remember because I definitely can't when your first visit to Peter Pan's flight was at Disneyland Paris no idea I would have been absolutely tiny <laughs> um, and mine I would have been about 15 on my trip with the sixth form um, but yeah what interesting thing to note, obviously on this attraction you are flying through, um, Peter Pan wasn't actually included in the original uh, Disneyland one that opened in 1955. The uh, The idea of the attraction was that guests would be flying from the perspective of Peter Pan, so obviously if you are Peter Pan, then why would you see Peter Pan? Obviously your shadow would be in there, you would see Tinkerbell, um, all the other characters, but I don't know. Because of the name of the ride or the attraction, and knowing what little kids are like, Peter Pan needs to be in the attraction. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting idea. You can definitely see where they're coming from with the idea that you know, sort of, you're the one who's who's flying and kind of leading the way. Um, but then equally, you're also on a pirate ship, and Peter Pan didn't need a pirate ship to fly because Peter Pan can fly. So it's a bit of a weird one. Um, but equally, I, I mean, you know, uh, we still have the same kind of debates today with things like, you know, should they have put Jack Sparrow and the other modern Pirates of the Caribbean characters into into Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, do, do, we, do we want more sort of audio animatronics to, uh, you know, help us really deeply link the story into the films that they're, they're linked to, or do we want things to be more, uh, more their own beasts themselves? Beast. It's definitely a beast. It's a, cl- it's a classic beast. Mm-hmm. That's another, it's an animal. That's another hashtag. 
<laughs> what after Bob Iger's sandwich? <laughs> I've actually tried listening back to the previous episode. Um, I didn't want to listen to all of it, and I still haven't found that bit yet. So if you can tell me what uh, time stamp the Bob Iger sandwich is featured, then I can get a sound clip from it, and I'll start playing that sound clip every now and then just randomly on Twitter. Oh no! <laughs> um, no one help him! No one help him! <laughs> I'm sure not a podcast challenge this week. I'm sure Alan will help us out. Cafe Fantasia. Um, <laughs> so yeah, from DisneylandParis.com, the official Disneyland Paris website, uh, it describes the return to Neverland, uh, journey to the Darling's Nursery, and behold the first meeting of Wendy, Michael, John, and Peter Pan. Saw through the nighttime sky over London, where famous sights like Big Ben and Tower bridge mingle with a confection of glittering lights then descend into neverland home to volcanic peaks and sparkling waterfalls once there glimpse the lost boys of mermaid lagoon and past and sail past skull rock swoop into pirate's cove home to an enormous pirate ship and behold peter pan in a swash swash can't even say that and behold peter pan in a swashbuckling duel with captain hook finally make your way back to london leaving a defeated captain hook far behind that's basically the story isn't it in a nutshell, yeah, I mean it's basically the story of the of the film. Of and the, the film, yeah. Um, we have a lot of discussion in the Disney community of, or definitely the Disneyland Paris community of IPs featuring in attractions, like you mentioned there briefly with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and putting Jack Sparrow in there from the film version of the franchise. But obviously, when um, California opened in 1955, sorry, not 1995, in uh, nineteen fifty five. This film had just came out a couple of years earlier, so Peter Pan was Disney's biggest IP at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a huge one. I mean, it's, you know, sort of comparable to nowadays when we think about um, Star Wars or Frozen. You know, it's it's that level of, you know, that's it's their sort of flagship thing. Uh, what I find interesting, of course, is that, you know, we have these debates about, oh, you know, now everything's based on Star Wars or Marvel, blah, 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 blah. But, of course, no one sat around going, oh, well, we should demolish Fantasyland because it's all based on the films. It's, I don't know, maybe maybe if the film's old enough now, people people seem to forget that it's actually based on IP, but, I mean, you know, the the, the whole baiting an attraction on IP is not new, and IP-based attractions, like Peter Pan's Flight, can be really, really good. They can be. We, uh, we'll start the uh, attraction description with the show building. Now, I haven't really done it justice, but I've described it as old bricked building with a blue roof. <laughs> can you can you describe it for our listeners in a better way than my rubbish English there? Because it's no, no it, that's basically <laughs> what it is. Well, um, I, I mean, I think what your what your rubbish description there lacks is uh, is all the sort of timber framing and everything uh, that I that I think makes uh, Peter Pan so yes so pretty. You know, there's lots of there's you know all these sort of huge wooden columns, uh, which I find quite interesting because there's um, I can't remember where else it is in the notes, but um, the show building is described as a sort of you know, taking you to an Edwardian England, whereas of course um, the show building is quite sort of Germanic in that kind of that timber frame, the the blue tiled roofs. Um, so yeah, I, I find that quite interesting. You have you have a bit of a mix there that actually, when you sort of look at it, it's not like uh, the Toad Hall restaurant, which is a very sort of British-looking building. Um, Peter Pan, despite being well, at least starting in London, is not a very uh, not a very London building at all. Now, something I've never realised before until uh, researching for this podcast, uh, there are turrets, oh, there seem to be like turret-like things uh, on the attraction uh, roof. There's also a weather vane, which is uh, like an iron cutout of a TikTok croc on top of uh, one of the spires as well. And have you noticed that the 
the the roof, the sort of spire roof, um, uh, in front, uh, sort of on top of the entrance mark, uh, is sort of intentionally sort of jagged and sort of higgledy piggledy. Like it's not a, they're not straight lines. Yes. On any of the roofs, which I think is just a perfect little detail. And um, obviously, as well, you don't really think about this when you're in the queue area. Obviously, even though it does take sometimes 40, 45 minutes, and sometimes it does require a fast pass to get on the attraction if you uh, get there at a certain time of day, there's uh, the clock tower as well, which is um, the entrance into the attraction, um, which has um, another weather vane type uh, ironwork on the top of it, which is of. Uh, a pirate ship as well, so it sees attention to, de- to the attention to detail that you don't necessarily see every single time you're walking past, um, and it's another reason why Disneyland Paris is such a uh, return. You, you don't mind returning to Disneyland Paris over and over again because it sees little snippets of extra extra bits of information and theming that you see on every return visit. Yeah, I mean the Disneyland Park's always been loved by all of us because it's because of that sort of tiny attention to detail. It's, that's the kind of thing that annoyed us when it wasn't there in the studios park uh, when it opened obviously you know nowadays we have it in uh, things like um la plaster remy but yeah definitely that's the kind of thing that that really pulls us in makes us love it now once you've um, been drawn in by this wonderful old brick building um, which we're describing as some kind of edwardian building with the clock tower um obviously the picture of uh, peter pan's flight all above the door you then walk into the uh, the queue area uh, it's mostly outside and it is back and forward. forward. Um, not the most interesting. Obviously, in Fantasyland, you've got quite a lot to look at, and we've just described the building there. So it isn't the worst place to queue, especially uh, when you mention areas in uh, Walt Disney Studios Park. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's not the most interesting, really. It's just back and forward, um, up and down, kind of standing in the cold. And I remember in February when I visited last, uh, we were talking about the blue roofing just a minute ago, it was all covered in snow. Um, to be honest, oh. this was the, probably the most interesting time of queue in Peter Pan's flight queue area. The um, the snow was starting to melt and big chunks of it were falling off, um, narrowly missing some really annoying guests at the front of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I didn't mind it at that point. Um, it then gets really, really interesting. Obviously, it's probably since the invention of the Fast Pass, um, the queue area has been close to the station, kind of chopped in half um you kind of feel like you're in some kind of confessional booth uh, at some kind of church you're up against the wall then you've got the wood paneling with some tiny holes in it right up above your head and i'm not the smallest i know i'm not as tall as you uh five foot eleven i am um but i still can't see over the top of there and it does feel quite claustrophobic when you are getting close to the station especially if you've got people before you and after you pushing around um so yeah, I'm just wondering if there's anything they could do to improve the queue situation. Um, well, I mean, there's there was lots of questions around this when they did the the major refurbishment of it in 2016 about whether they might sort of uh, move the the fast pass sort of ticketing area um, and maybe enclose or at least sort of add add some sort of roofing to that enclosed area outside where the where the queue snakes up and down. Um, Shanghai Disneyland has some sort of interactive elements. I think there's sort of like bedroom scenes or whatever uh, that people can interact with. And there was a lot of hope that that might come to Paris, given that, wow, the queue gets so long during the day. Um, but of course, that never arrived. It would be nice, I think, in the future for them to uh, to reposition the fast pass machines and to to sort of claim a bit more space for 
a slightly more interesting queue there, given that it's it's not a sort of hugely fast-moving queue either. You know, at least with something like Thunder Mountain, it's a long queue, but you're constantly sort of winding your way and moving around. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a slow queue, so it would be nice to see them do something. Yeah, I think it... Personally, I do think it needs it, and we'll probably discuss this later on in the uh, future section. But um, looking at my new purchase, the Theme Park Design Book by David Junger, it does have a massive section on queues. And obviously, it, well, to quote it, it says, the first goal for a theme park designer and operator when planning queues should be um, should often be to avoid queues altogether. So having the snaking back and forward... Um, or the, the kind of what it's called now, what's the official term for it? Come on, come on. A bloody nightmare. <laughs> well, that's one way of explaining it. I can't remember where it's gone now. It's gonna. It'll probably come back to me later on when we're talking about a flying um, board. <laughs> but the um, the queue area going back and forward does kind of demoralise you, doesn't it? When you're in the queue, you, you, you kind of see oh, I'm coming towards the end. Oh no, I'm going back down where I was again. I'm back again. <laughs> no, I'm back again. So you kind of coming closer than further away, closer than further away. So obviously in this book it says it's trying to avoid the queues. Now. Pirates of the Caribbean is probably the best, one of the best in my opinion. Um, you don't feel, because I've never actually queued in the outside roped off areas, um, but once you're inside, you kind of feel like you're part of the attraction already. Um, and I feel that uh, Peter Pan's flight is missing some more immersion, um, interactivity, or just kind of blocking off where the rest of the queue is. So possibility is to discuss this later on, but... Um, some kind of changes to the queue system would be interesting and uh, worthwhile in my opinion um, there's no pre-show either in this attraction uh, I know in other versions like you've mentioned they've improved the interactive queues um, adding some kind of pre-show element to the attraction uh, the Peter Pan's flight in different um, countries so it's something that I feel does need to happen in Disneyland Paris um, but we'll get onto that later the technology, its this is where we get interested and this is where we start geeking out, isn't it, Simon? Oh, yes. So, obviously, this ride or this attraction uh, features black lights everywhere. Um, and since the 2016 refurb, they have totally went all out on the black light. It's so amazing. It pops. We've got animatronics in there. Not the most adventurous uh, and most technological animatronics in the world, but again, this is one of the original attractions in the park. Uh, even after the refurb, there's still some room for improvement, but they're so cool to have animatronics in an attraction. Some physical animatronics in your face. Even though we do love projections, it's not. It's always good to have a physical animatronic in the attraction. Um, it also includes projections. They've included a lot more projections since the refurb, and obviously the physical props uh, are in there as well. So I think it's now time to go through scene by scene and start talking about the attraction because we could be here for a long, long time. Let's do this. Let's do this. So yeah, the first uh, thing you do well, at the station, you're there's like there's so much like the the mural on the wall, the paintings on the wall are so amazing, and I feel that's the kind of thing they should have through the queue area. Or... Yeah, it's it's a nice kind of thing, but as you say, I mean, even with the mural, that's not sort of properly immersing you into the ride yet until you've sort of left the station, which I think is a little bit of a shame. But you're right, it is a nice mural. Yeah, sets the scene, but it doesn't immerse you yet. No, maybe the station could it be rethemed so. I don't, obviously, you don't get into a boat in London that's flying, do you, really? I suppose it doesn't really, it doesn't really link to the story, does it? Because I know the boat flies at the end. Spoilers. But um, I don't know. Does it need to be detached from the main story so the guests don't get confused, maybe? I'm not sure. 
I don't know. I mean, the other way to do it would be that you start off as if it's a sort of boat in water, and you're like, you make the station a sort of dock, and then that first scene. I don't know. I don't know how you'd then get from being in a dock to then flying over some roofs <laughs> to then going through a window. Um, Magic. Uh, in the in the Shanghai one, uh, they sort of they kind of enhanced the mural a little bit. So there's a there's, there's there is a mural sort of in that backdrop still, but they. They've sort of made it a layered one, so you get a sort of nice three D effect. Yeah. And then uh, actually, that that is it's just they kind of made it a bit like a kind of bayou, so it's kind of watery themed. Um, and then as you sort of leave the station and before entering the first scene, uh, you're then greeted by sort of projections of uh, of Tinkerbell, who sort of uh, I guess magics your your pirate ship into the air. So that that's a kind of nice nice way of going into it. Yeah, I was I was watching the uh, Shanghai one before, and wow, there's some other projections in that. Oh, it's pretty special, isn't it? <laughs> we'll get onto them very soon. You do have physical props when you get very close to the start of the attraction, though. So you've got some chimney tops, haven't you? That are smoking away, um, starting mm-hmm. to add some of the elements to the uh, to the attraction. Um, you've obviously, as soon as you leave the station, before you go into the Darlings' house, you see the the rooftops down below. Uh, as you're leaving the station, you've also got the windows with the curtains in and the blue tiled roof. So you ask that's where that's the moment when you are in the attraction, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. I also like uh, the fact that. No, I don't. I don't even like that. We'll cut, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, when obviously the the, uh, the boats leave the station after every so many seconds, so you've got the gap in between each bit, and so that the scenes have enough time to reset. Um, so if you're lucky enough to be in the boat that's kind of perched at the station, ready to go, um, you do get a nice view into the um, into the Darlings' household, into the nursery, um, where you can see a lot of the props. Uh, one of the things with these kind of dark rides is when you're going so fast, because it is pretty fast attraction, you miss a lot of the elements. So again, rewritability is something that's really, really big, because you get to see it from a different angle, depending on where you sit. You get to look over the boat and see... The uh, the toys stacked up on the shelves, the beds, the the pictures on the wall, even to the detail in the carpet or the uh, the, the clock on the wall, that kind of thing. You don't really see that when you are on the attraction, do you? No, you're right, and that's one of the kind of big differences between the sort of traditional uh, traditional you know ground based ride. Normally, things are above you so that you can see them easily, but when they're suddenly below you, it really does make a difference which side of the which side of the uh, the train you're on because you can only see one side. So, yeah, you're right. It makes free rideability a, a really important feature. The um, This is the first time when we get into the bedroom. It's the first time that we uh, see or meet Wendy, Michael, John, Nana the dog. Obviously, Peter Pan as well. I can't remember, and I should have maybe looked this one up, but I can't remember what it was like before the refurb because these days you've got the Peter Pan shadow, which is crystal clear. You've also got Tinkerbell flying around in Ultra HD, where it looks like... Um, moving around on the walls towards the window. Um, can you remember what it was like before the refurb? Because I've totally wiped it from my memory. No, it's been a while, hasn't it? I, I've got a feeling there was a shadow of Peter Pan on that same wall. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it uh, it sort of lacked the Tinkerbell and all the the sort of little little glitters of fairy dust that uh, now adorn it. Yeah, and you've got um, the, the animatronics of Wendy and the, and the other children. They're looking around, moving their heads... Could we have more movement from these animatronics, or does it not need it because you are going so fast and the, and the the kind of 
focus of that point in the attraction is moving towards the window uh, and the shadow and Tinkerbell moving at the window as well. Yeah, I guess, I guess you probably don't need it because you are going quite fast. But, you know, uh, now that we've seen uh, what Disney can do with animatronics recently, I mean, it'd be really cool to have them doing something, uh, you know, or maybe sort of like going to follow you almost. Maybe, yeah. In uh, Disneyland California, the children now, on since they've had their refurb, they're actually flying and floating in the air. So <laughs> they're actually fly, like animatronics kind of suspended, float, like floating around, flying, getting ready to follow you out the window. So again, slight differences, but very, very, uh, diff- very similar as well, though, in different ways. So the um, the window... Now, on different versions of this attraction, uh, depending on when in the attraction you're released from the station, I have seen the window open in front of me. I've uh, sometimes just had the window that's already open. So I, do, I don't know uh, if it's uh, something that's random or it depends on if you're the first or the second boat out when it kind of goes in twos. Um, but having the window like burst open as you're flying through it is something special. Yeah, I, the um, the scenes where you have uh, sort of doors open in front of you are really good in this attraction because it they're you know they're timed to perfection so that it, it's it's all you I mean it almost looks like you've hit the things and they've sort of been smacked open. Um, so yeah, no, it's great when uh, when you have when you have that closed and then they sort of open up and it, that really also sets a great uh, sets sort of a great premise for that you're you're then moving perspectives as well, going from being within this you know, this sort of room-based situation where everything's sort of life-sized or suddenly you're, you're outdoors and, you know, they need to be using the false perspective to uh, try, and, try and make these tiny buildings look like they're huge beneath you. Yeah, I love how the um, the buildings do start off, well, I was going to say human size, but the human size, <laughs> even if they're smaller, they start off our scale, don't they, when you go through the window. Um, so you do see and feel that you're coming out of this window into the real world. And as you say, when you move on into the next part of the scene, then they're getting smaller and smaller and the forced perspective uh, is starting to take shape. It's also in this area, once we're through the window, that we start to see the twinkling lights. We've got, um, in the distance, you can see the River Thames and London starting to uh, come into view. Uh, it's also the first time we get a taste of the black light. Um, going back to my theme park design book, here we go. Uh, Tom Baxter explained that... Um, they like to start when they're doing dark rides with um, the black light. The opening and closing scenes in the dark rides are incandescent light instead of black light. Uh, he felt that the lighting, uh, lighting them in that way, would uh, would create would be more effective from the real world in the fantasy world. When you enter the Snow White ride, for instance, you're in the dwarf's cottage and it's all warm lighting, and it doesn't need to change into black light until you leave the comfort of the coffee cottage and go out into the more scary, evil environments. So it's very similar on this one, isn't it? On Peter Pan, you've kind of got the nice warmth of the darling household and then you kind of burst through into the cold uh, dark night it's not obviously for for younger children it will be quite scary and quite spectacular at the same time and then you kind of burst into the story then don't you yeah and i guess also from a sort of uh technical perspective you need to make sure that when you're you're in a black black lit environment that it's very dark uh and also you're going to have a bit of natural light coming through coming through from the station in that in that first scene uh, so I guess they need to have a sort of transition scene as well, just to make sure that uh, the blacklit rooms are actually fully separated from anywhere where there's a sort of source of natural light. That is true. Another, well, to be honest, actually, I think the Big Ben and the uh, the Tower Bridge scene of the Peter Pan's flight attraction, that's probably my favourite part of the whole attraction, I think. 
uh, when you're swooping around, you get to see all the the little lights of the houses and the, how intricately painted they must be on the floor. Um, and the fact as well that you can see all the little lights moving on the roads where the <laughs> for the cars and nowadays we've got the projections onto the River Thames so you can actually see and it feels like the river's moving. Um, the only thing I think it is lacking, now again you don't go slow enough to catch most of this, but I know that in the Disneyland California version the, uh, they actually project Peter Pan and the children onto the uh, clock face um, from the iconic scene when they land on the uh, the hands um, and like jump off to Neverland. Um, that's something that is on there. And I tried to look this time at Disneyland Paris again, and I don't think they are on this attraction. Um, just another little tip or another little hint towards the film, um, and it's a shame they didn't put that technology in there this time. Yeah, it's a shame because you you almost kind of lose Peter Pan and and the children. Um, during these these sort of uh, these early scenes after you've left their house, so it would be it would be nice to have them sort of uh, hints out again, so that you remember that you're kind of you're on a journey with them instead of just sort of oh look we're at Neverland and they popped up again. <laughs> they must have took a plane. Yeah, <laughs> they don't fly. No, the um, again, not don't want to compare everything that we're talking about to Shanghai, but that is the kind of ultimate goal for any park at the moment with uh, how much technology they've put in there. You just mentioned there about we kind of lose Peter Pan uh, flying with us. Um, but in Shanghai, they actually have him in nearly every... Well, I think it's in every single scene. So at this point in the uh, Shanghai version, you do see him on the Big Ben. You also see him in the sky projected um, flying next to you at certain points as you're going over the city. So he does make a bigger appearance in the Shanghai version um, with the projection mapping and my must say. If you haven't watched it yet, go and watch a POV of the Shanghai Peter Pan's flight. There are a couple of occasions which we'll mention in a minute that I think they've maybe overused it, but in this scene, when you're so immersed by flying over London, then you, can, then you get a, a glimpse of Peter Pan flying past you uh, towards the North Star or the, 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 the second star to the right. That's uh, that's when it, it's got it perfect for my in my opinion. Yeah, I mean we we've said this a lot of times, but uh, the the great use of projection mapping is when it's just adding a little something. You know, it's just a sort of a shadow, you know, flicking flicking across a room or something. Or, you know, we were just talking about the river moving and feeling feeling really dynamic, like there's a, like there's a living city beneath you. That's where projection mapping is really great. Um, and I, I think I know the bit that you're going to talk about that you say it's overused uh, in Shanghai. So that'll be interesting to get to. But yeah, it's just those projection mapping used for little details and making things dynamic rather than um, being being a focal point necessarily yeah. for the story. Um Actually, the scene we're going to come on to next when you pass through the stars, because uh, in uh, in Paris we don't have the second star from the right that you can that you fly towards. I know in a lot of other versions you do, and you kind of go towards this bright star, and then that a door opens and you're into the star field. But we're now kind of you go straight into the stars. Um, it's so well done though, and every time I look at it, I think I can't actually see the LEDs hanging down. Um, on the net or whatever it is that however they do it and um, it does look like again when you're going so fast that you are passing through the stars and you kind of think well are we going to get tangled up in these stars at, at one moment um, it just so again it just wraps you around with the magic doesn't it it's brilliant it's not quite as immersive as the uh, the, the sort of starry scene in Tower of Terror um, but you still get that amazing sense of you know I can't sense any depth whatsoever, <laughs> uh, and that's that's great. You know, if you're going to Neverland, you want it to have this kind of 
otherworldly feel like you've just completely you know previously yeah yeah you know you, you can you can see that you're on an attraction but you get to that point where you're like wow I, you know i can't see anything apart from stars and that's so that's so immersive that's great and i love that yeah i think it needed to be a practical effect as well obviously there's no point in replacing everything in the ride with projections or lights i think if the the views are really old technology there and i don't feel you need to replace that one no does it perfectly perfect as it says, as it does on a tin. <laughs> so uh, we kind of this, this is when we swoop through the stars. Neverland starts to appear. Uh, you can see the waterfalls. You've got the the volcanoes, the mountains. Uh, you do get to see if you look closely. You have got the boat in the bay. You got the uh, the pirates' cove in the background. Uh, we just mentioned in there about the the projection mapping being used on the water in the River Thames. You've, you can see now the water trickling down the waterfalls on Neverland. Um, you've got the the lovely fluorescent rainbow uh, above Neverland, and it, it's just a bit of a wow moment, isn't it, when you get to see that scene? It is, and it's stunningly colourful since uh, since they they redid everything um, during the refurbishment. I mean, the the previous scenes, yeah, they've they've. They've livened them up a little bit, but it's when you get to this bit that there's a sort of there's a really noticeable change because suddenly you know the greens are the reds. It's all it's just so vibrant now. Beautiful scene. And what I find amazing, I know there's only so many colours you can use, uh, as far as I'm aware, when you're painting with black light. Uh, and I know a lot of artists uh, from different uh, Walt Disney Imagineering uh, sections around the world came back to Paris to help refurbish this, but. I don't know how can they get the mountains looking so brown, but then also looking so green. It just looks lifelike, and like you say, it's so bright now and so clean um, that really, obviously, if the, if the um, black light went off, if the fluorescent light went off, then it would be pitch black nearly, apart from the stars. So how they can make this stand out so well with the black light and the very dimly lit uh, spotlights they'll have on it, it's just amazing how the technology has brought this set piece to life. Mm, definitely. Um, one of the sad bits about Peter Pan's uh, flight is the fact that you do want to stop for a minute and just <laughs> spend time looking at the scene, don't you? Um, I suppose that's what all attractions uh, aim to do, so you get back on the attraction again and do it again and again and again and come back for more. Um, but this is one of those that it's just looked so beautiful. It really does. And an- another thing that's that's great about this attraction in these first few scenes sort of really display it properly is how... Frequently, you're jumping between perspectives, but how they manage to have little, little sort of showpieces, little sort of—I don't know—maybe you'd call them scene transitions uh, between each piece. So you know, you, as we said, you, you start off in a in a bedroom that everything's life-sized, and then they slowly sort of transition you through. Okay, now you're in a street. Uh, okay, then as you turn around, the buildings sort of get lower, and then you go over a set of buildings, and then suddenly the the perspective has changed absolutely hugely. And you can't really make out any buildings anymore. And this is another one where you know you have to go through that sort of star field where you lose the previous perspective, and now you're in a new perspective and in a new place as well. Um, you know, looking at a whole island at once. <laughs> then, then the, the, it, it all changes again, doesn't it? Because you're going into some like kind of rocky caves, and all of a sudden you're in Pirates Cove, and you've got Tiger Lily uh, in the mouth of the uh, the, the skull, uh, the skull cave there. Um, and again, just the water trickling around her. There's there's flashing bits of water, and she's well lit, and it just looks all spooky. She's obviously she's tied up as well. Um, this is the start of the story where we need to get uh, Tiger Lily back. Um, when we swoop round, and then again, it totally changes. You've got 
the focus on Tiger Lee and you're swooping around really, really fast and all you can see is Captain Hook. The Lost Boys are tied up and you've got Peter Pan um, having a little sword fight there. Another great use of animatronic and the scale again. We're, we're now at a human size scale again. We're back at one 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 by one scale. Um, TikTok Crocs there. We've got the water on the floor. This is the scene. I don't know if this is the one that you were thinking about. This is the scene that I was talking about about Shanghai. They've replaced okay. they've replaced the animatronic with projections on screens. It's just not as good, is it? It's not. Now I can see the, the movements obviously a lot fl- more fluid because the animatronic is a robotic and it's obviously not fluid as it's not the same technology that we've seen in the world of Pandora or uh, in Jack Sparrow in the new version in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean but having the physical animatronic on there the way it's lit it ma- the, the lighting matches the rest of the props and the rest of the physical scene whereas the version in Shanghai it, is, it does look 2D because it is um, they haven't even tried to kind of project it on any transparent sheets because there's nothing behind it either so there's no depth to it whatsoever and it does spoil it so this is one where Disneyland Paris has got a big big tick above Shanghai yeah definitely I mean with the black light as well you get so much contrast in things that um, depth on a 3D object becomes really really apparent I think that's why um, the island looks so great because with a black light you can um, you can just sort of you can kind of paint in depth just by making it darker and because the you know the bright bits stand out so much you you end up with so much more so much more depth to it so then but yeah when you shove in a a projection it just doesn't really it doesn't look the same because you don't get that kind of depth and that's that's obviously so important with black light are you saying that in this scene we we come back into a uh that's one-to-one sort of scale and we're back we're back in a human perspective um well that previous scene going into tiger lily that's that's a brilliant way how they do that because you sort of you turn a corner and you leave that sort of starscape and you're in just sort of a kind of, uh, you know, kind of blackness around you and all your attention is drawn to that sort of skull rock that's ahead of you in the distance so that you then just get a scene where you have a straight section of track and you're just sort of zooming in. You know, it's like it's like you've got a camera lens and you just zoom in uh, to the sort of the skull rock with Tiger Lily in it, which is great because that's a fantastic transition again from going from... Okay, we're really high in the sky, looking down at a tiny island. To whoosh, now we're in the island. The perspective change is brilliant. It just feels so seamless. It's like the thought about it when they were planning this attraction. I know it's a crazy thought. I'm absolutely certain, though. It's all you know. They just shoved it all together, and it just magically worked. Of course, that's what happens here. Yeah. Who needs know. design, right? <laughs> um, when they're on the pirate ship, and you've got Wendy walking the plank, and you've got Smee behind there, and we haven't even mentioned the audio yet. To be honest, I know it's hard. We put the audio in after we've recorded it, but the audio as you're going around, the iconic music, the sound effects, you've got audio coming from everywhere. Um, you can even see in the distance, you've got the moon shimmering, shimmering away on the sea, and you've now got the movement of that as well on the water, the, the waves moving. Mm. It just adds to the depth of the world, doesn't it? And then even We don't really mention audio that much on this podcast. Uh, I feel we should a little bit more. Obviously, it's, a lot of it, it's all in French. Um, but, I, but I like it that way because that, that's what makes it our version doesn't it I like, people say well can we have that attraction in English or can I have it in French but to me it works in French perfectly fine I know the story I know what's happening I know that I've kind of learnt what these French words mean so if anything it's kind of educated me a lot more by it being French as well <laughs> well yeah definitely I mean 
French is a beautiful, beautiful language as well. So, uh, you know, in, a, in an attraction like this where, A, you know the story because you've seen the film, and B, I mean, it's all kind of pretty self-explanatory in front of you. It's not a, it's not a complicated plotline. It's not a thriller that's, like, unfolding in front of you. Um, so yeah, having it having it in French, I think you know you get you get the beauty of the French language, and and you, if you're English, you you get that sort of, and you don't speak French, by which I mean by that, just assuming that all English people don't speak any foreign languages. <laughs> That's uh, most of us, though, isn't it? I mean, both of us included. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you you get that sort of element of uh, a kind of mystique about it as well. Um, if you if you don't speak the lingo, which I you know in Neverland is uh, quite exciting. The only, I mean, the, the other thing I would say about the audio, though, is I, I get terrible, terrible flashbacks to Disney Dreams now whenever I hear any Peter Pan things. So, I mean, for terrible. me, Peter Pan's almost painful, really. Terrible sort of flashbacks. Like, oh, yeah, well, I want it back. It's brilliant. Oh, that's why you have terrible flashbacks. I was going to say, it's not terrible. Bring no, it back. No, it's not terrible. It was excellent. I want it back. It's, I must say, I, yeah, has nothing on it. I've been... Um, Obviously, getting some music ready for editing this podcast together and listening to uh, Peter Pan 2, the soundtrack where you've got that um, iconic music that featured in Disney Dreams, and it does bring a tear to your eye. <coughs> um, as you're flying through this scene, I don't know about you, Simon, but I always feel, and now I've watched it back a few times as well researching this, I don't, fe- I don't believe or I don't um, think for one minute that I'm going to fly over the boat. No, and, and in, no, in a traditional I, I, to dark, be honest. in a dark ride as well, you just kind of expect because obviously this is different to our normal well, class as normal dark rides because you're kind of just moving around on the floor or the track next to th- what's happening. But like you mentioned before about flying through the scenes, but you still expect if this was a, if this was my first time, even though it's not my first time, I still kind of expect to kind of fly right past the boat. But you kind of go right through it, don't you? It surprises me every time, to be honest. I've been on the attraction loads of times, and every time I'm like, oh, wow, we do actually fly over it. That's so exciting. <laughs> but yeah, no, as you say, you get used to that sense of, okay, there's a large set piece. We will have to go around that. Of course, when you're on an inverted attraction, no such need. <laughs> Not at all. Straight over. Just go straight over it. So close, in fact, you could probably steal uh, Peter's hat. Not Peter's, yeah, Peter's hat as well. What's the other <laughs> little boy called? I can't remember now. It's the top hat I'm thinking of. What's his name? Is Michael? Which one's the one with the top hat? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I need to watch the film before I do a podcast. But yeah, you fly over. That's when I, men- I mentioned about the uh, the moon hitting the uh, the sea in the background. Again, you think that's in the background, and you think, oh, it's only small on the uh, projected on the wall or whatever. But as you're going, as you're swooping over the boat, and you see it right in front of you, and it's so ginormous on the wall or gigantic. Ginormous isn't a real word, is it? It's, so it's a magical word, though, so we'll keep it. Ginormous mural, um, obviously painted in black light now with the added ripple effects, and you've got the clouds in front of it. You swoop past Tiger Lily's father. Now, I wasn't aware that this was his name. Obviously, they call him Chief, but apparently from the original story, it was Great Big Little Panther. Great Big Little Panther? <laughs> That's his name. I love it. We should start calling you that. Well, if you want to call me Great Big Little Panther, that's fine. What would you be? Little, I don't know, little small, tiny leopard. Skunk. Skunk. (laughs) (laughs) Or sloth. Sloth. Well, you've probably got more up and go than I have, to be honest. That's why the podcast takes six or seven months in between each episode. (laughs) It's only a few weeks this time. It's good. I know. What's happening? I might have to just delay the uh, publishing of this one. (laughs) Just to make people feel at home. 
Um, when the chief or great big little panther is on the cliff, this is one moment that kind of sweeps past it. And when I was looking back through this uh, for the research, I didn't really remember this scene in my head. It wasn't one that kind of stood out. I, listening back to the soundtrack, though, I do remember the bum bum ba dum bum bum ba dum ba dum bum, the uh, the chanting of the chief and his uh, the tribe. But I don't know visually; it's just not something I kind of remember. I don't know if it's the same for you. It isn't it? Isn't the biggest weenie of the attraction for me? No, I always forget about it. I mean, I think it's because it's the sort of transition between uh, you know the kind of the, the big fight between um, Hook and Peter Pan. Uh, and then Peter Pan actually being victorious, so I think you're kind of you're you're in the midst of something that's bigger, and it, it's a sort of symbolic representation of sort of you know Peter, Peter Pan getting the upper hand and and fighting back. But yeah, I, I guess it's kind of forgettable because it's it's in amongst the bigger thing that's happening. And also, I mean, if you're us, you're clearly so amazed that you've just flown over a large set piece, you just forget about everything else. That's true. The rest of the uh, the rest of the attraction's totally wasted now, isn't it? Yep, completely. completely. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, um, what are we doing now? Right, so after that, now this is where you probably needed some... I know you've just mentioned there about a transition, and that's where we've got the chief, the great big little panther, uh, on, on the mountainside or the cliffside there. But do we not need... Do we need a projection or some kind of movement to show that Peter Pan was a little bit more victorious and him flying over to another part of the scene, maybe, or flying over them? Uh, to show that he's still on our journey with us, maybe I don't know. Does it need something else in there, or is it is it quick enough of a transition that it just needs to go straight into it? Well, I think part of the issue is that the transition is really quick. So uh, I mean, I, I think it's a shame not to have a sort of scene where Hook is defeated. I mean, again, not that we want to keep doing it, but going back to the Shanghai one, they have a, a sort of projection scene of. Hook being sort of, you know, they're sword fighting, and then Hook gets pushed off the boat and he lands in the uh, in the sea. And, that, and that's a really nice way of of, uh, of showing that. But of course, we don't quite have that in Disneyland Paris. No, Again, yeah, I don't feel like it needs something that's projection mapped necessarily. But uh, yeah, having having something that in a very concrete way shows that Hook has been defeated would probably be uh, a little bit preferable to just... And you swing around a corner, and everything's fine now. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the in the Disneyland Paris version, once we've uh, moved away from Tiger Lily's father at the cliff, that's when you've got the uh, the pirate ship or the galleon, and the lost all the little boys and girls, all of the family are there with Peter Pan on the uh, magical boat. You've got all the pixie dust flying around. Uh, it's so sparkly. Um, that's the difference. Again, you just mentioned about Shanghai. In Shanghai, you go into another scene where you've got a bit of fighting going on, and you don't you don't actually see um, Peter Pan and uh, the Darlings uh, take off. Really, you've got a projection of a golden boat flying away, which looks like a big, massive screen. Um, not the best. We obviously <laughs> we we're not fans of screens in attractions. Really, we're more fans of projection mapping because you can kind of hide it or map because it in, it's, into the environment that it's in. Yeah, it's not a screen. It's three D no. still. Um, and again, that's why the the, sh- the ship works so well. Now it is really really bright, um, and the pixie dust flickers away. And I don't know. Peter Pan's got a bit of a strange face on on it when you look at the attraction. Is like. Yeah, man, I'm so happy. I'm flying off on my boat. That's how he. That's how he talks, by the way. 
<laughs> and as you leave, you fly past Smee in his little boat. Poor little Smee. I think he needs a little. I think he needs a bigger part, doesn't he? Smee's one of my favourite characters. I love Smee. He is, and he's, he's just sitting there in his boat, looking a he's bit adorable. scared. He is, but I don't know. Could I don't know what could could something else be attacking Smee just to make it a bit more interesting? Oh, don't make things worse for Smee. Because <laughs> we've got, we've got Smee should be sort of jumping aboard, you know, your pirate ship, and you know, being being rescued and taken home. Don't put more on the poor guy. Well, I must say, when um, Noah was a, a big fan of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, not Pirates of the Caribbean, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, um, obviously watching that with him, Smee is a very, very nice gentleman. And quite right too. And quite right. Uh, in this scene, you've got TikTok Croc kind of trying to chomp down on Captain Hook. He's got bits of his claws missing. Um, this is actually this is another really impressive animatronic, isn't it? And mixing it with the dark light, uh, the fluorescent paint is really, really good. Um, he's bouncing up and down the TikTok Croc's mouth is uh, opening and shutting and trying to grab him and uh, that's again that's another iconic scene isn't it in the uh, attraction uh, as it transitions towards the ending it's actually the last bit you really see as well isn't it it's kind of the last big hurrah before you leave and see the uh, mermaids on the uh, the station with the waterfall and you can see the nice projected water down the hill uh, of the waterfall as well it's so impressive but again, that's the transition, isn't it? You don't have any black light in there. Uh, the, the doors open, and you're back into the station with the mermaids, and you've got the. Um, it's lit up again, isn't it? With the kind of incandescent light now. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, you're at the end once you get to that point. I mean, there's there's often sort of a lot of waiting at that point for uh, for the other trains, the other galleons to leave the station. So that's your sort of um, uh, goodbye wave, I guess, from the attraction. Um, going backwards a little bit because I did jump <laughs> jump forward quite quickly. Um, Tinkerbell, apart from at the beginning, where else is she featured? Because she's definitely featured on the, uh, the the boat at the end when it's pixie dust away, and she's it looks like she's kind of going to fly off with them. Uh, but as she's animatronic, she's kind of stuck on the top of the uh, the lamp, fluttering her wings a little bit. Um, could she be included a little bit more in the story? I know it's Peter Pan's flight, but obviously she provides the pixie dust and the magic for a lot of what's happening in the story. I think it'd be nice to see um, Tinkerbell more. Maybe uh, in the scene around where you fly around the island of Neverland, that might be a nice a nice moment to... Oh, projection map. Tinkerbell, uh, Tinkerbell on so that you could have her sort of join you on the journey. Yeah. Or, um, I mean, again, I think this is... I remember this is Shanghai or it might be from the original Disneyland attraction. Um, there's a moon at some point and you you have sort of Tinkerbell uh, and Peter Pan go across there just to sort of remind you that they're there. It's just those little touches, isn't it? Um, they could project, they could map it onto the uh, the wooden posts of the pirate ship. It could be uh, going in and out of rocks in the uh, lagoon and in, in and out of the eyes of the, uh, the caves on the pirate's cove. There is so much more they could add as a little bit more detail, just a little bit more depth. So every time you ride it again and again and again, you do see more and more and more, even though there's so much to see already. Yeah, I guess the challenge with adding in something like Tinkerbell is that um, you have to have that sort of human-level perspective, that sort of one-to-one scale again, so that you can uh, you can actually have her join you. And I guess that's why uh, you'd only have something like when you're flying through the sky, you'd have to have a a moon with them in sort of some sort of perspective 
yeah. flying in front of. Uh, otherwise, it would uh, probably look a bit weird if uh, you've got a massive, I- uh, well, a huge island that looks tiny and then massive Tinkerbell storming <laughs> across it. <laughs> Just imagine. Like one like jack- a Tinkerbell dinosaur sort of storming her way across. <laughs> a pterodactyl-sized Tinkerbell flying yeah. next to you. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that, could, that would make a great T-shirt design, that. The pterodactyl with Tinkerbell's head. <laughs> no, well, there you are. I mean, we nightmares. have a magical DLP store, don't we? So uh, that's a, get that's, a, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. <laughs> um, we've kind of got to the end of the attraction now. Uh, we've mentioned as we've been going through, though, a lot of what we would like to do. Um, but we'll go officially over to the future section now. So we've already covered projections. We've mentioned as well as we've been going along, probably more against it in a lot of more like a lot of areas. Definitely against the screen technology and putting in the two uh, D animation in there. Um, we've mentioned where we would like it to be. Uh, obviously, probably more to add depth to a scene to make sure that Peter Pan and Tinkerbell are kind of following you along on the flight. Uh, one thing about projections, once you've got it all mapped, is you can add and change different stories. And a good use, could it be that you maybe randomise certain bits or every now and then you change the, the, the vocals that are in there? Maybe Peter Pan will say something different or he'll, he'll fly next to you and do a loop-the-loop one time and then the next time you ride it and he's flying with you, he's waving at you or sticking a finger up if it's a late-night adult version. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that's why they, they close Fantasyland early. It's not really for the fireworks, it's just... Uh... All the cast go around and they have an adult version of all the attractions. Oh, oh dear. Oh, that's a bad thought. I shouldn't have said that one. <laughs> uh, um, go on. No, I mean, you could do things like um, adding kind of different different weather effects, say, on the uh, the scene where you fly around the island, or um, or indeed sort of when you when you get to the boat or in the city, you could sort of add, add in different, different bits of weather. Maybe you could reflect what the weather conditions are uh, in real life at the time. Uh, so that you sort of walk, walk through, um, uh, join the ride, and then it's uh, it's matching what you've just been experiencing outside. Something like that might be cool. Rain. It's Snow. rain all the time. Snow falling off onto guests' heads in the queue line. <laughs> that seems to be all it is at the moment. Frosty, snowy, and rainy. That seems to be the weather. Although when I was there, I think I mentioned it in the uh, Walt Disney Studios episode recently. I got everything. I managed to get every single type of weather: the heat, the sun. The cloudy day, the snowy day, the rainy day, everything, the frosty day. Well, you've got everything you could hope for then. I mean, why, why are you complaining? I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it would take a long time to pre-program all of that into our weather weather interactive ride. <laughs> or maybe if you, um, they could somehow work it out that somehow in this massive new queue line that we're going to build at the attraction, <laughs> you'd have an interactive element where you start choosing the weather or the time of day uh, for the Neverland scenes, and then when you finally get onto the attraction, it's then whatever, whatever you've programmed in. I like the sound of that. Or say if you want, if you want to have it raining at the Neverland Island, or you want the volcanoes to be going off, or you want some, you want a tsunami to be coming <laughs> over it, or dinosaurs with Tinkerbell's face on. <laughs> Whatever you want, projection map it on. Now, this is the worst um, thing I could probably say, um, especially oh when we talked about IPs and stuff like that. Uh, but if you're interact, if you're kind of creating the show as you go along, which would never happen, then it would be sacrilege to do that. It was such a classic attraction. Um, <laughs> we know, obviously, it's going into Walt Disney Studios Park now, but yeah, you could have Iron Man coming down. Um, you could get in Marvel in there somehow. 
totally Why not? I mean, totally ruined there's it. a lot of stuff in space, so maybe the scene where you go through the sort of the star field, you know, let's make that uh, a hyper jump from Star Wars. Why not? Hyperspace, hyperspace Peter Pan's flight. <laughs> I really hope someone's considered that. Well, I mean, I really hope they haven't, actually. But Yeah, I really hope. If they did consider that, their uh, P-45 is waiting for them somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you just kind of touched on the uh, queue area there. My my opinion is, it would, obviously, it would change Fantasyland, and it's perfect as it is, really. But kind of adding an extra building to it, and like I was mentioning before, when you've got the uh, the uh, I keep forgetting the official name, it keeps coming to the tip of my tongue the, when the queue kind of goes back and forward. What's it called? Fall noise, not fall back, flip back, tail back, snap back. I don't know what it's called. Um, but when you're kind of snaking around and you can see the queue going backwards and forward, backwards and forward, they would need to take up a lot more space to fit in the same size queue, wouldn't they? If they were building like another building for it. Yeah, you I couldn't, guess so. You couldn't, because I mean, obviously we've got just the fence, but you would need, if you wanted to put in a partition or a wall and have it so there was scenes in it or like some kind of pre-show artistry or props or whatever, it would take up probably twice as much space in the area. I think there's um, there's space for it though, just about. If I'm right, you're gonna have a look now and tell me, aren't you? I'm I'm on Google Maps right now. <laughs> How did you guess? Zoom. Zoom. Oh, I've zoomed in too far. Oh. oh, I'm in the carousel. Oh, this is terrible. Well, I'm I'm looking at my house currently, so I haven't even got that far yet. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, um, while you're looking at that, I'll just mention um, we've well, I've slightly tweaked the magical DLP website um, we've kind of changed it into some kind of directory at the moment there's two attractions on there we've got Big Thunder Mountain and we've got Pirates of the Caribbean no we haven't we've got Peter Pan's Flight so I don't even know the website anymore we've got um, the idea is I'm going to try and go through every podcast that we've done so far all 18 um, which specialise in attractions or elements of the Disneyland Paris world and then what we're going to do is we're going to link our podcast to that you can leave reviews so if you haven't had time to review um, the, the attraction and send it in for this episode, then do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? Uh, add that in the review on the page for the attraction. Eventually, I want it to be like the TripAdvisor, but for Disneyland Paris attractions. Um, that's the plan. Have you found the map yet, by the way? I have. Yeah, so there's <laughs> there's a sort of uh, wooded area, kind of. Um, in between the queue and Toad Hall restaurant. So, I mean, you'd probably have to kind of get rid of the uh, sort of Tudor house facades that are yeah. behind the outside queuing system. Um, but if you, if you say, made that indoors, well, I guess you could just sort of bring bring forward that Tudor facade, basically. Actually, um, I can see I, what you mean now, yeah. I, I think you'd, you'd end up with more areas then to, to sort of, press the queue out a bit more and have something something more to look at and you could probably do away with a bit of that woodland area and bring bring the queue um further towards the lake by dumbo and it wouldn't look as scary would it when you're walking through obviously when it's extra magic time and you're the first one in the park and you manage to get to it you can kind of jump on board straight away um but what if you're there towards the end of extra magic time or you're there just as the park's officially opening at 10 o'clock and the queue is already out the uh out of the queue area isn't it so if it was inside uh, in, a, in a queue area you wouldn't know even if you did say 40 minutes 60 minutes you would think oh it's, it's okay these attractions go fast this queue is going to be fine and you'll still go in 
and then you, you it's all about the psychology isn't it of a queue if you're if you can see everybody snaking back I think is it called a snake back maybe not I don't know I'll get the name eventually somebody will have tweeted it in by now once I'm listening to it um, when you've got all the snake backs and you've got all the snaking round and round and round you, I've mentioned it, I've mentioned this already 20 times already this podcast but psychologically you think oh not again not again so by having it inbuilt like Pirates of the Caribbean where you can go around see different different um, little scenes in the queue area the, the sights the smells it, it kind of flies through doesn't it the queue the, the time just seems to go faster and I think that's it does, what, it does need it I know it's got a fast pass and you can do that if you want it um, and obviously maybe it's just my really boring brain that can't talk to itself for 40 minutes to kind of pass the time <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure we're all affected by just standing there and queuing well, no, I have to say, I've, I'm not sure I've ever properly queued for the attraction. I've either done it during extra magic hours or fast past it. I can't, I can't face the queue otherwise. Yeah, according to the theme park design book, um, 20 minutes to 25 minutes is the European average of happiness to queue for. I think in Britain yeah. it goes down to about 15, 20 minutes. Anything more than that, and we're totally hating the queue. 20 minutes is fine. It depends what it's for as well. I mean, you know, for an e-ticket, you expect you expect a reasonable queue, but... Yeah, 40 minutes. Oh, dear. So, um... The queue area's kind of been ticked off there. We've talked about interactive, adding Marvel or Star Wars to the attraction. <laughs> obviously, we're only joking, so don't, don't send us any nasty emails. Um, pretty sure... There probably isn't any space for any type of pre-show, really, without doing drastic changes to the park and to Fantasyland. Um, but it would be nice just to have, whether it's more uh, like just akin to the film and you've got another little scene, or you could even include um, the darlings' father and mother getting ready for their night out as part of the film, just to set the scene a little bit. Um, go into the story of the film a lot more um, just because obviously when you got when you hit a pre-show before the main station you kind of think you, you feel like you're in the attraction already don't you and you don't mind walking through it slowly because you do feel that you are part of it yeah so I remember uh, a while ago listening to a talk by um, I can't remember who it was um, but it was a it was a I think it was a TEA conference um, where someone from WDI was talking about how you know they understand now that everyone's sort of glued to their phones, and maybe there's a way of getting, you know, getting a sort of an app that kind of makes you instead of you know removes you from the world around you, but an app that sort of adds to adds to the story around you. So I wonder whether you could have uh, some sort of um, you know section of the Disneyland Paris app where once you walk into the queue for Peter Pan's flight, you could then have sort of uh, some sort of maybe like storybook, interactive storybook that you could kind of flick through on your phone as you're waiting in the queue line that would do things like telling the story about the uh, the darling parents uh, getting ready to getting ready to leave and the you know the children being tucked into bed and Tinkerbell waiting to to fly in and bring her magic. Something like that. Just uh you know if you don't have any physical space to do a pre show, maybe you could do a do a pre show in other ways. Maybe, and obviously they're rolling out Wi-Fi or free Wi-Fi throughout the parks very slowly, but it is going to it is going to be coming whether you like it or not. They did try to um, they did try this with Crush's Coaster, didn't they? With the interactive game in the Crush's Coaster queue. Um, yeah. When when I was there, I keep saying when I was in February, you know when I was there. So when I was there last, that didn't work anymore. The Wi-Fi was still there, but the page you had to visit to open the uh, interactive game 
just didn't work whatsoever. So, obviously, technology is there. Maybe it needs to be a bit more robust. Um, personally, my opinion is in this classic fantasy land area, yes, people are on the phones. But I don't know, adding that extra incentive to go on your phone would maybe would it would it entice people to sit on it when they're on the attraction and probably not but more people would drop the phones more people would be stood there charging them up trying to find a wall with a plug socket on the end of it i don't know maybe it's just even though i love my phone maybe maybe a little bit too much it's the first thing it's the first thing i say hello to and the last thing i say goodbye to in during the day so maybe i'm the wrong person to talk about this well, as you say as well, though, I mean, that's another thing that could actually sort of, if, you know, it, t- it takes you out of the immersive theme if you're going to be looking up and you're in this, you know, sort of nice, nice Edwardian uh, timber frame building and, oh, look, everyone's on their phones. Doesn't doesn't feel very fantasy, does it? <laughs> Not at all. Anything else you want to mention about the future? Obviously, they're not going to get away. They're not going to get rid of it. It is a staple of the of the parks. It's one that was opened in 1955. It opened here in 1992. They're not going to do anything drastic to it, are they? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, we spent all of the last episode talking about how they're going to be working on the Studios Park for a hell of a long time. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think given that we, we had a refurbishment in 2016, I can't imagine we're going to be seeing any changes to it anytime soon, including with the queue, either. Unless, of course, the park suddenly becomes more popular and they, like, really need to expand the queue. Um, but then again, then they'd probably just... They have a sort of extendable rope queue area, don't they? Uh, yeah, the goes outside, they end up just yeah. fencing that properly. I don't know why they haven't done that already, really, because the ropes and stuff... It needs to go down the front of it sometimes, doesn't it? The queue. It does. Busy, busy attraction. Obviously, if you get so busy because Walt Disney Studios Park brings in millions of extra guests, they're just going to have to build a second ride track that goes next to part to the Caribbean over the railroad, <laughs> and uh, you basically pick A or B. the The stories are back to front, so you have to hmm. kind of listen to the audio backwards. But it, you choose; it's up to you. It's like you have some pirate ships going one way around it, some <laughs> going the other way. They sort of collide in the middle. Well, one could be an English version, one could be a French version, one could be on the correct side of the road, one could be on the right, wrong side of the road, I mean, in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier about the refurbishment. We've mentioned it a few times during the episode. Six months uh, for a major refurbishment. Um, they obviously repainted everything. They added lots of new effects, new lighting. They give it a once-over on the, uh, the, the track and the ride vehicles as well, and it does make a big difference, and it, it's so... Am- you didn't, even though at the time you didn't really notice that it needed it. Once you've been on the attraction, once it has had the refurb, I'm like, wow, pop right in your face. The colours, the smoothness of things. Actually, smoothness of the the ride vehicles still very jolty. So it's one that you have to hold on to your kids and your glasses because here is the uh, the wildest ride in Fantasyland. Yeah, definitely, and that's a. It's a bit of a shame that it is so. So jolty, and you know that's that's when you're going around any corners, and there's a lot of sharp turns in the ride. That's the kind of thing that kind of kind of pulls you out of the attraction a little bit because you know if you're on a flying boat, you expect it to be smooth and sweeping, but it's uh, yeah, it's a bit juddery, a little bit better um, since the refurb. But obviously they they've not replaced the track and they've not changed the ride no. system. So that would, uh, that nothing would, nothing major was going to no. happen. That would be the only way that could really do that. That would be a major, major refurb, and we're talking like a year that we'd really taking everything I mean, apart and building it again. It's basically a new ride then, isn't it, yeah. at that point? 
which obviously we don't want to do because we don't want it down for that long. Um, let's see what else there is. Uh, let's go down. We've got a million lines of notes from Alan Cafe Fantasia. Um, one occasion, this is from, some amazing notes, of course, from Sketch to Reality book, um, which was out in April two thousand and two. I have the copy of this book, and it's amazing. Um, the props came from London flea markets. Uh, some of them had to be modified in order to assume the same look they had in the film. But again, this is another example of Disneyland Paris Imagineers going out and getting real-world props and putting it to use. Um, to talk about reduce, reuse, recycle. Oh, don't talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> on one occasion, apparently when testing the ride, Imagineers remained stuck in the flying boat, suspended more than eight foot up in the air above London, unable to get down. And do you know why? Because there was no emergency ladders installed yet while they were testing the attraction. So how do you get people out of a boat that's flying above London? Really massive ladder. Or a really giant Tinkerbell. This is true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mentioned before about the refurb on the um, the, the, the on the blacklight and the fluorescent painting. Uh, it was American and French teams that worked together on the um, six-month refurbishment. Um, new lights were added, new paints were added. Um, blacklight paint specialist from Walt Disney World came in to lend a hand um, and the scene by scene the painters invigorated the colours throughout the attraction the original projectors as well which were there since 1992 were upgraded with wave simulating programmes and the attraction's props and figures were repainted and refurbished in the central shop workshops at Disneyland Paris as well there's so much going on uh, we haven't got time to read through all of these but I'm sure uh, Alan won't mind if we add a lot of these notes onto our brand new sparkly website so you've got a lot more to read there uh, something which um, I'm going to have to play uh, where's it at it's down here um, as you fly over London uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this one now don't you oh, I do I'll have to insert some audio in a second as well uh, it, the line take the path that moonbeams make is sung which obviously according to Alan from his wonderful research sounds a lot like Think of Batman pooping snakes. Think of Batman pooping snakes. It, I can't get it out of my head now whenever I hear it. Take <laughs> it's kind of It's kind of ruined the attraction for me a little bit in some ways. Thank you, Alan. I've never heard it before, but I mean, thanks for that. <laughs> I'd never have heard, never heard it, but uh, yeah, it's impossible to unhear that now. It's done. It's all, it's all ruined. It's all over. Uh, just above at that in our notes, Alan. Uh, Alan, I'm calling you Alan now. Just above I, that in the notes. That's a compliment I'd like to be. I'd like to be Alan. He's a very knowledgeable man. Well, should we call you Alan from now on? This is, I, this is good. I'm the new Alan. Well, Alan, can you read the uh, bullet point just above that, which talks about the wonderful writing on a gate? Because I can't pronounce yeah. it. I want you to see it. I've no idea how to pronounce Scottish things. So, um, again, this is from, from Alan at Café Fantasia's notes. It says, In the queue for Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland Paris, there are gates with the word, uh, I believe it's pronounced Kirimur, but who knows, written on them. Kirimur. Double R I E M U I R, for anyone who uh, who speaks the old Scottish. Um, and apparently, this is a reference to uh, a small town of the same name in Scotland where J.M. Barry uh, was born and buried. J.M. Barry, of course, being the writer of the original Peter Pan. Yeah, it's, I did not know that. I didn't know oh, that which as well. Which gates, I wonder, does uh, yeah. does this refer to? Well, guess what? I'm on map still, so let's see. Oh, wait a minute. I don't think there's the street view at that area. Let's have a look. Zoom in. I'll... Zoom in. 
Just keep zooming. Just keep zoom. Just keep zooming. Just keep. That's a different franchise. That's a different IP. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't uh, see it from this cafe, view. Cafe Fantasia uh, has tweeted a picture of it, but I can't really tell where they uh, where exactly the gates are from. It might be into a backstage area. I'm not really sure. But anyway, yeah. If you um, if you go on Twitter and uh, search in at Cafe Fantasia and Peter Pan's flight gate, then um, yeah, you'll find it. Um, something obviously Alan was uh, very very lucky to be on the Tony Baxter tour of Disneyland Paris um, oh so jealous I know I, I did live it through uh, Alan's Twitter feed though on the Eesh. quotes that you mentioned um, but on, we all? <laughs> on that tour Tony said that the uh, when they were building the attraction uh, unlike at Disneyland and in Florida um, they took advantage of the fact that they were building it all at once uh, all the parks at once and all the Fantasyland at once Um Apart from, obviously in Florida and Disneyland they added little by little as they were going on um, but they moved Peter Pan's flight so it's close to pirates um, so it's very very close to all the pirate activity um, that gives a great advantage um, and a, they've obviously got Captain Hook there uh, and a whole new Neverland is very very close to all of their pirate activities with School Rock and the Galleon there as well um, to be honest, I've never, even though I know it's close to it because they're in separate lands I've never associated how close they actually are Um for a Tony. No, nor have I really. It's it's funny how you start compartmentalizing things into the into the lands given to you on the map rather than thinking about their actual geographical yeah. proximity to each other. <laughs> I guess you also have you've got that sort of covered walkway that you have to walk between that kind of divides those two lands up. So uh, yeah, maybe that's something that um, that uh, yeah just just splits those two things apart. Also, Pirates of the Caribbean feels very set back, whereas um, the rides in Fantasyland are much more much more on the path. Maybe that's another thing that that just distances it a little bit. Yeah, they're in your face. Um, while we're talking about Cafe Fantasia, we'll uh, go straight onto the tweets. Um, I put a call out maybe about 7 o'clock this evening while we were recording this, and we started this at about 8 o'clock. Um, so at the 11th hour, Cafe Fantasia sent me a direct message on Twitter uh, with his oh, wow. opinion. He never, For a while, he hasn't sent us his opinions. He does so much research for us and kind of geeks out on finding videos and ruining songs by talking about pooping snakes um, <laughs> that he doesn't really send us any opinions anymore but this one's one that we need to read out um, the best attractions I think uh, are the ones that allow us to do things we've always dreamt of to experience things we've always wished we could do I'm not sure anyone has really wished they were a rat running around on the kitchen floor <laughs> totally laughing emoji there uh, but I think we've all dreamt of being sprinkled with pixie dust and flying off to Neverland. It's a beautiful thought and one that Peter Pan's flight delivers, which I think it is why it continues to be such a popular attraction. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you don't want to be... The, a... the, the narrative The narrative of it works really well. And equally, I mean, I think also one of the reasons why it's such a popular attraction is just because the, the inverted ride system is just so different to anything else. But yeah, no, definitely, that that kind of narrative premise of uh, of going off to somewhere that's uh, that's that's so magical um, and really out of this world unlike most of the other things of course uh, in Fantasyland which are you know yeah kind they're, they're based in fantasized versions of Earth but there's you don't leave the world though so to speak um, the magic comes into your own world yeah I must say it's one of humans dream the human race's dream isn't it to fly which is obviously why we've got flight now, so you can fly from one country to another. We, we want to fly into space. Um, I, I totally agree with Alan. We don't want to be a rat on a kitchen floor. Um, yeah, even, though the, even though the attraction is really good and I do enjoy it, and you haven't 
yet ridden Ratatouille yet, but we won't mention oh, that again. Um, times. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone wants to fly, so having the flying sensation of flying through a story that everybody knows and loves um, does make it very, very popular and magic. Um, next one's short and simple for you. It is indeed from Emily at EJH92X. <laughs> short and simple. It's not worth the wait time. Hmm. Kind of brutal, but also, I mean, to be fair, I have to agree with this because actually, as I said earlier, I've never ridden it um, when it's not during Extra Magic Hours or without a fast pass. So, yeah, Emily's right, I guess. Officially, and yeah, probably is right, yeah. Yeah. Not worth the wait. Kind of depressing when you think about it, but yeah, maybe, maybe it's true. Although, to be fair, that is because it's so popular, the wait time does become insane. Yeah. But I think that's that's a mark of the brilliance of the attraction anyway. That. So many people want to go on it. So yeah, I, would, I think I would put in brackets some kind of caveat. I would say it's not worth the wait time, but you've got to do it once every trip. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the wait time is. If you've missed, if you, if it's not your, if, if basically it's your fault if you've planned your day incorrectly and you haven't managed to get there <laughs> while the queue was empty. So it's the guest <laughs> fault. Um, Top tip planning from. Uh... Andrew there. there we go um, no relation to me Sarah Williamson at SE Williamson 1 uh, it's a firm family favourite here one of the first things we do except for my mother-in-law who didn't know that she was going on and taught my then two year old some very colourful new words she was not keen on the track being above her head Snow White is about her limit <laughs> oh dear yeah. Well, you were saying earlier it could be a very, very uh, scary experience. So um, apparently it is for mother-in-laws as well. <laughs> so that needs to be a, some kind of small print on the website, doesn't it? Not suitable for mother-in-laws. <laughs> um, go on, last one. Last. Well, actually, there's no. There's a few more. And there's two more. What's the next tweet? Next one. Nice, nice short one again. I like these from Amadeus Ravenswood at Amma Ravenswood. My opinion fits in a single tweet. Amazing, magical, timeless. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think we all totally agree. The timeless point, I think, is a really important one because, you know, as we said so many times, like this this attraction, apart from having Peter Pan thrown in and having different scenes sort of fleshed out a little bit more as uh, as new parks been built on, on sort of bigger scales, this is still fundamentally the same ride that was an opening day attraction uh, in, in the original Disneyland. And, you know, it's it, it's it's been, you know added to a tiny bit but the core of it is still very very much the same and it's still so popular so timeless is definitely a key word to use about this should the original attraction and the original it's a small world in disneyland should they be kind of world heritage sites so they don't um destroy them anywhere because they are so I mean, in, in the theme park world all of disneyland needs to be a, a heritage site there we go I mean, you can you can you can adapt and improve a heritage site i should think still within reason with, yeah. <laughs> Don't change my Tower of Terror. <laughs> um, yeah, Walt Disney Studios Park can be changed, really. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's not a heritage site. No. I get it. Um, Nick underscore MCUK. Nick underscore, at Nick underscore MCUK. Original handle. Um, it's just timeless, and I love the fact that you float above it. The bit where you fly over London is great, too. Totally agree, Nick. That is my favourite part of the attraction. Although, now we've described it again and again, I do like the part where you fly over the galleon as well that you don't realise you're going to do that. Um, before we read the emails, um, we got a cheeky uh, reply from uh, Loon Kid, or La Luna Kid, uh, on Twitter. Um, his, this was when we posted two hours ago, a last call for all opinions. 
It's all right. And that's a quote from Lunakid, 2018. <laughs> 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 right to us more often, please. <laughs> it, it does depend on your opinion of attractions, though, because if you've done it hundreds and hundreds of times, then if I mean, even if they have refreshed it and you've still done it hundreds of times after the refurbished um, attraction, um, if you're a thrill seeker, or you go into Disneyland Paris for other things rather than these attractions. Because some people do go to Disneyland Paris and, believe it or not, don't really go on any of the attractions. Uh, they obviously go for characters or just the atmosphere or the food and that kind of thing. So maybe it's fair to agree that people will have the opinion that I think's wrong, that it's all right. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I kind of find it difficult to, to see where you'd, you'd sort of end up kind of on the fence about Peter Pan's flight because it's... You're either sort of, uh, you know, maybe a, a someone who isn't into dark rides per se. Maybe you're a thrill seeker, or you like characters, or that kind of thing. In which case, you just, yeah, you, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be into it anyway. Um, or you know, you are into dark rides, in which case you probably love it because it's so unique and it's so well done. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's in that first character, that, so- that first uh, characterization of eh, all right. Now, it looks like, obviously, the Loon Kid is um, a fan of Delatelle La Loon. I can't even say it now. I spoke too fast. Um, space, The original Space Mountain. So, obviously, probably a thrill seeker. Maybe this isn't thrilling enough for him. Well, I mean, let's, um, let's add a launch sequence into it, then. Oh, just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely wouldn't see the... Uh, you wouldn't see the bedroom. You wouldn't see the uh, wonderful London scene, would you? You'd be shot right over that. No, but you would have a mother-in-law saying some very extraordinary <laughs> things. Oh, if you thought that was bad, Sarah, you, then you haven't been on the launched version of Peter Pan's flight. <laughs> um, let's go for some emails then. Uh, this is We have always said this. It's one of our favourite parts of the podcast, reading out your emails. Sandra Eogan, um one of our biggest fans. Hey, Andrew and Simon, it's great to have you back uh, recording again. Peter Pan's Flight. What can I say? It's just a timeless classic attraction, isn't it? Peter Pan is a story that holds a special place in my heart anyway, so the attraction is a must-to-do on every DLP trip. The visual is simply stunning. To me, it's literally like uh, diving into my imagination and finding myself lost in one of the most timeless and artful attractions in the park. The contrast between the darkness of the background and the vivid colours of the characters in each scene really allows me to feel... Uh, like I've dived into the actual story of Peter Pan. The subtle use of projection mapping, where hey, projection mapping, arms in the air, arms in the air, gives the attraction <laughs> that sprinkled. This is kind of like, um, have you done, which program is it where? They read out some like t- tweets, but it's the Radio 4 lady presenter. Can't remember what it was now, anyway. Totally digressed. Um, so it gives the attraction that sprinkled with pixie dust kind of feel. As a child, the story of Peter Pan held wonder. What child wouldn't want to fly out of their window and have an adventure? Some of the students I teach probably do that. Um, as an adult, who wouldn't want to fly out their window and escape reality for a bit? Every time I board that boat and fly over London, past the second star, to the right, and on to Neverland, I can't help but smile. If you could see my face in that boat... I must look like a happy idiot because I know I have a big grin painted on my face every time. The attraction itself, the boats are a little jerky at times. I would like it if it was a smoother ride, but that's a minor detail. Would I queue more than 40 minutes for this attraction? Probably not. I will ride this attraction more than once every trip, but I tend to catch it in magic hours, so it's not too much of a queue. 
I'm unsure of the capacity of this attraction, but I would put down the long queue times to the fact that it's a three-minute ride and it's maximum four to a boat. Obviously, the popularity of the attraction adds to this, but I just couldn't justify waiting an hour for Peter Pan's flight. I love it, but not enough for an hour's wait. Anyway, sorry for rambling on. Look forward to the next podcast. Sandy. I don't actually think we've got the number of um, the capacity of this attraction. That's one thing I always forget to find out. Yeah. Um, no, uh, funnily enough, I haven't, haven't seen that. But I, I think the next email will um, will shed some light onto that. Oh, well, I, sh- I should have really read these emails before I pasted them on there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what do you mean? Like, this is good design by you. You know, it, it seamlessly flows on and sort of answers questions, right? It's all put in the correct order, yeah. Go on, you read this one. Very clever. So this one's from Herbert, uh, who's at DLP Celebration on Twitter. Hi, Andrew. Hope you'll dig really deep into this amazing attraction. He's forgot about... Whoa, about... whoa, whoa. He's forgot, whoa, about... Whoa. He's forgot about Simon or Alan, whoever we call... we're talking to at the moment. Yeah, forgot I'm about Alan you. today. I'm Alan now. <laughs> Sorry, Alan's biggest fan who's just become him. Uh, when I when I <laughs> was when I was typing this up, I thought should I add Simon in there? No, I won't. I'll leave it. That's the email he sent in, so we're going to leave it. It's Andrew no, all the way. You know, I'm just I'm the lowly co-host. I'm <laughs> occasionally replaced when it's convenient, so it's cool. You're you're the staple, all right. If you're going to write in, then you definitely know Andrew's going to be there. You can never be quite sure with me. Very I'm true. A bit too mysterious. <laughs> Go on. Sorry about that. Anyway, one. I'd like to hear about the differences between all the uh, the versions uh, compared to Disneyland Paris. This one. Here we go. Did you know that you can run the attraction on three different speed levels to increase uh, per hour capacity? The Paris one normally runs on highest capacity level, unfortunately. So there you are. That's really interesting. Um, doesn't necessarily answer uh, how many people you can get in and what the sort of total capacity is. But that's fascinating, anyway, isn't it? That. Uh, you know, uh, maybe that's the kind of thing that would actually help the ride feel a lot more smooth if it's going around uh, at a lower speed. And maybe it does during extra magic hours. I'm not really sure. Very true, yeah. Maybe maybe um, if they did make it slower, obviously the queue would be even longer, but you might get a smoother ride there. Um, I've just found a list of... I don't know who's posted it. Let's have a look. Uh, oh, Discovery Arcade, actually. Robert. Discovery Arcade posted in 2014. Thanks, Let's see, Peter Pan's flight, 1,200 guests per hour. When ah, but and which it, speed is that on? That is very true. Uh, according to this, anyway. Highest, presumably? I would say. Autopia takes in 1,600. You've got Big Thunder Mountain, 2,160. Uh, Carousel de Lancelot, 2,280. The uh, best ride uh, for guests per hour according to robert from uh, discovery arcade is parts of the caribbean 4591 guests per hour so now, it is, is, it is just because it's the longest sort of time on ride so you that you would then inevitably have the most amount of uh trains or boats or whatever you want to call them very true whereas because peter pan's only uh three minutes something yeah for just right over time. three minutes yeah yeah. Um, to be honest, looking at the list, it's not. He hasn't got every single attraction on here. Um, but the the only one that's worse than Peter Pan's flight, according to this list, is Dumbo, which has approximately nine hundred and sixty guests per hour, and Arbitron, oh. Arbitron of seven hundred and twenty guests per hour. Seven hundred and twenty. These are tiny numbers. <laughs> where's uh, Where's Crush's coaster? <laughs> that must be. If that was on there. That'll be pulling up the yeah, bottom of that list. It's not on that list, but we'll say it's about two guests per hour. Minus 720 guests <laughs> per hour. Sorry, anyway, we'll continue with yeah. Herbert's email now. <clears throat> back, to the, back to the email. P. 
Peter Pan is uh, somehow <laughs> my inner me, and Disney's classic movie is one of my favourite movies too. Therefore, Peter Pan's Flight is one of my all-time favourite attractions. Not only it has such a unique ride system than suspended pirate ships, it is also amazing to see how the Imagineers brought all the scenes from the movie to life. The fact that the attraction was present at Disneyland's opening day and has not changed heavily since makes it even more a timeless classic. No wonder that they built it in Shanghai Disneyland too. That makes the Hong Kong Park the only one without Peter Pan's Flight. Or, i.e. the only sort of um, Disneyland park, so to speak. Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. That's it. <laughs> Have it, Hong Kong. <laughs> The uh, refurbishment of the ride was so desperately needed and was well done. In my honest opinion, it was brought uh, it has brought this classic to its original brilliance without destroying the heart and soul of the ride. The updated effects are really beautiful, and using today's technology like the projection on the waterfall keeps it up to date. For me, no Disneyland trip is complete without a flight to Neverland. Thank you, Herbert. I like how he ended the email with "Hear you soon," because obviously he won't see us. He oh, hear- I hadn't even I hadn't even thought of that. Is that why you missed it out? I was like, hmm, can you not read the word here? I don't... <laughs> he's better oh, educated than me. I'm a teacher and he's at Cambridge. <laughs> we don't read. We don't Oh, well. We, we, we skim. You heard it here first. These are the skills we're taught. <laughs> don't trust us. Don't trust anybody from Cambridge. I'll remember that one. <laughs> um, Alan Wheeler. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this on a podcast episode, but for the 25th anniversary, uh, Alan was there with his family in April. Uh, of last year um, and I got this tap on the shoulder I think it was after one of the illuminations um, I think it was actually the one that I got invited to by Disneyland Paris and got a VIP band but we won't talk about that because I don't want I, I don't want to brag um, but Alan and his family kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said are you Andrew from Magical DLP I was like damn right I am you're, you're, <laughs> the, only, you're the only person to recognise me on the whole trip and I've got a badge on and I'm wearing it very very proudly um, so, Aww. hello to Alan and his family. Thank you for noticing who I was and saying hello. Whoop, whoop, whoop. whoop, whoop. Um, he goes on to say, Hiya, what an amazing ride, right from the unique ride system to the amazing vibrancy of the colours. It's a ride that, since its refurb a couple of years ago, really is first class. It works for the whole family. The only thing with it is, is that. The only thing with it is the queue. It's so long and needs really to have something added like the interactive stuff in the States. It's for this reason I'll only ever ride it in extra magic time or with a fast pass. But I've not, I'm sorry, but I've only rid, not ridden it on one trip and it's the sort of ride that makes Disney for me. Regards, Alan Wheeler. As always, totally agree. Totally agree. That should I'm be. Still amazed he managed to pick you out of a crowd after illuminations. I know, and, and people were too busy looking at uh, Mickey Mouse waving goodbye on the. Uh, I think actually all the characters were there for that special um, evening on the 25th anniversary. They were all but singing. For Alan, it was you that stood out. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been on that bridge on on the station. On the Discord, I can't even say the word now. Should have been there on um, Disneyland Paris station. Oh, that would have been great, and you could have been like making it rain with magical DLP badges. <laughs> I think I had about four in my pocket, so it wouldn't have rained. It would be more of a quick shower. <laughs> <laughs> Another email. Alright, next one's from uh, Jack, who is at DLP Discovery Mountain on Twitter. Peter Pan's flight is the perfect depiction of what a dark ride should be. As a very young child, however, this ride actually scared me a bit, flying through the air. I have, however, now conquered my fear, and in fact, a thrill-seeker. Although I wouldn't class Peter Pan as a thrill ride. What I love about Peter Pan's flight is how you can look around at younger guests who are in awe that they're actually in a flying pirate ship, getting up close and personal with their favourite Disney characters, and actually feel like they're thrusted into the film itself. 
from a personal view, I always make sure uh, I ride this every time I go to Disneyland Paris, mostly during extra magic times due to the wait times, as it's a quintessentially Disney uh, attraction and it's so nostalgic. It makes you feel all those memories as a child. Yet, uh, at first those <laughs> were my... Uh, were yeah, yes, at first those were fears of falling into, falling to my death, uh, but it wasn't every time I went on it that I felt like that. <laughs> the only part which really sticks out as poor to me is the queue area. Mostly outdoors with little to no theming, and when indoors you squeeze through the smallest corridor in the world. Compared to Disney World, which has interactive elements and gets you immersed into the Peter Pan world before you're bored. However, I do not think that the queue area detracts from the ride itself, which in my opinion is in fact better than uh, Walt Disney World's version, much like our Big Thunder Mountain and Pirates, etc. Suck on that. That's the second podcast in a row now that you have said that, Simon. Suck on that. It's good. It's good. I'm enjoying it. We should send in more things where I have to tell places to suck on things. <laughs> anyway, the best part for me is when you go past the, sh- the, uh, the ship at the end, which is lit up with fairy dust as Peter, Wendy and the crew fly off into the distance. A simple yet very effective part so to transport you over to the magic. Overall, a great attraction, the best attraction in Fantasyland and a must for any visitor to Disneyland Park. I'll leave you with hashtag buttcracks as I believe Cafe Fantasia wanted to get this trending. Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Hashtag book no, I'm glad that's back. <laughs> <laughs> We've had all the uh, hashtags on today, haven't we? Bob Agger sandwich, book cracks. Um, oh, yes. Suck on that should be a hashtag as well, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hashtag suck on that. Why not? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really good point about um, the Walt Disney World version. The Walt Disney uh, World Fantasyland has a much more... It sticks slightly more closely to the original idea that they had in the original Disneyland of Fantasyland being a kind of medieval carnival, and you have this sort of tented um, facade outside of Peter Pan's flight. Um, and I've I've never really particularly liked that, to be perfectly honest. So I think the um, the more uh, Germanic and uh, sort of I, I guess it's a sort of slightly grittier, more real worldy feeling to Peter Pan I, I, th- I think in Disneyland Paris at least I think kind of sets it up sets it up more nicely yeah. and let's be honest we just like saying things are better than in Disney World of course we do The uh, I, like, I like you mentioned there about uh, setting things up properly um, you for it to be more believable and to be more magical you want things to be more lifelike on the outside don't you more like the real well obviously I know you're in Fantasyland so it's not like modern day life but more we would i don't know it kind of links in better doesn't it from going from the outside through the uh the nice buildings the edwardian buildings into the world of peter pan it kind of fits better doesn't it yeah i think so definitely um i mean maybe it would make a bit more sense to have a sort of slightly more uh genuinely edwardian style with a kind of brick building like you have for uh mr toad's hall next door to it right next door yeah try and to try and kind of bring you into that London feeling, but I mean, oh, the, the Germanic timber and uh, blue tiles uh, building looks so beautiful. I don't think we'd really want to get rid of it. Definitely not. This section is, we're getting very close to the end now. Now, it's been a while since anybody sent in any audio, and we do ask for some, so if you've got a mobile phone, which I know you have, you're either listening to us on that right now, or if you're driving your car, don't do it right now, because obviously we don't want a fine sent for the post for you getting arrested while using your mobile phone in your car. But um, playing audio, we're going to do that now. We've got one from Q from Australia, and I won't uh, embarrass myself by doing an Australian accent. Um, oh, please do. <laughs> <but let's, laughs> no, no, thank you. Uh, I want him to send us some more in next time, so I don't want to 
destroy that relationship we've Don't got going. Them away. No. I'm going to play that now and then we'll talk about it on the other side. G'day Andrew and Simon and listeners of the Magical DLP podcast. This is Q from Perth, Australia. I'm a Disney Parks explorer and past guest writer on the Designing Disney website, Disney Hipster blog and This Happy Place blog. Also currently a co-host of the MJ Cast podcast, news and discussion and interviews on Michael Jackson and the Jackson family, where we just launched our fourth season. On the wonderful, wonderful attraction, Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland Paris. Well, firstly, the stunning, stunning show building. It is such a beautiful, beautiful area of the park, and it really does live up to the amazing attraction within. So many amazing, wonderful points I could talk about, but I'll keep this short. I adore the gorgeous murals and the figures during the show scenes of the attraction. I think that this attraction has some of the, if not the best, forced perspective use anywhere. Those models... Your point of view, it's just brilliantly done. And really, who wouldn't want to visit Neverland? We get to visit Neverland in a flying ship. That is so, so amazing. From soaring high above to flying right into the action, there's really no other ride that does it as well. Peter Pan's flight is absolutely and utterly charming and always a must-ride attraction. My only complaint might be, it doesn't last long enough. Flying ships, people! Flying ships! It's brilliant! Well, thanks for having an episode on one of the best attractions, and also thanks for all your hard work in bringing us the magical DLP podcast. Your time and efforts are very much appreciated. How beautiful was that? That was great. I mean, I would like to hear you try and imitate his accent, please. Now, my... Now, why, my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I conned you into that. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> um, just go through some of the points he mentioned there. The stunning shore building. It is... We've already mentioned this millions of time now. Totally amazing. Uh, the murals, the art... Mur- murals. I keep saying murals because my um, my wife's nana is called Muriel. <laughs> the mural. <laughs> the murals on the wall. The artwork. It's so nice. But is it something that could be... I don't know. Could they change it to make everything fit a little bit better at the station? Telling part of the story? Maybe. Um, the for- he said they're the best forced perspective. It is a really good job, but I think maybe, does the winner have to be the Disneyland Sleeping Beauty, Disneyland Paris Sleeping Beauty's castle for the fast perspective? Possibly, is, and some of the some of the styles used on Main Street USA as well. Definitely, yeah. There's uh, there, there's a lot of good false perspective in contention. <laughs> maybe that's an extra podcast episode in the future. Maybe just on false perspective. Or we could do a Twitter poll on the best false perspective, and we'll yeah, uh, let's do it. see if there's a winner. Someone, somebody please remind me to set up a Twitter poll because I'll forget once I've listened to this podcast when I've been editing it um, I love I loved the way he kind of brought across his excitement to you get to visit Neverland in a flying ship 
in a flying ship. Was that Australian? No, I didn't. I didn't even try it, Andrew. I'm not going to embarrass myself like you have. Okay. Well, you, you, got, you say it. Lots of decorum <laughs> after last week when I was screaming "suck on things." <laughs> uh, you say that though, but I didn't hear that in this edit of the podcast. Oh, oh no, what have you done? <laughs> um, I'm actually getting lazy now, so I probably won't edit that out. Cause <laughs> I used to edit every little thing out, and I've, you probably may have noticed over, over the years, because it has been nearly five years, I think, we've looked back on now. Um, well, we we've should... just got considerably less professional, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. Or we've, we've either got better, so I need to edit less, or we've got lazy and I just can't bother editing. So it's all in there. Um, One thing, obviously, you mentioned there, but well done for getting an advert in there. I think half of the uh, audio that he sent in was an advert for what he does. Um, So do make sure you check out what Q does because he does some amazing stuff. But uh, Disneyland Paris um, was somewhere that Michael Jackson visited, wasn't it? So I wonder what his thoughts would have been on Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Peter Pan's flight. I've no idea why I said Pirates of the Caribbean. But well, it would be, there's, there's pirate ships and there's pirates. It would be interesting to see what he felt about that as well. Um, I know on that podcast you get to interview uh, members of the Michael Jackson family, or of the Jackson family, so tell you what, this is a we normally do a competition or a challenge for us, um, or for our listeners, for our podcast, but I'm on cue on his my MGA podcast to do a whole episode. Now, this will look bad if they've already done it, but about his tour to Disney and to Disneyland Paris and he's staying in the Disneyland Hotel because there must be some, there must be a whole episode there that you can talk about from his time at the park I mean given that uh, Michael Jackson had a Neverland Ranch I mean presumably he would have really liked a Peach Pan ride very true right. very true let us know send us a link when you've recorded that podcast queue and we'll uh, share the link and we'll have a little listen um, let's go on to the Apple Podcasts or in the old money iTunes reviews this time we've actually got some real, yes, real reviews, um, and the so the so fresh in between our previous episode and now that the method of me collecting them from a, a fancy podcast uh, review website, um, it's not they're not even on there yet. So it's a lovely print screen. So make sure you've got that zoom right in there, um, and you can read the first one out. A must for DLP fans. Five stars from Davy of Doom. A thoroughly unmissable podcast for all DLP fans, always insightful and covering some brilliant topics in depth rather than just all bite-sized news. Hosts are likeable and witty, but such a long wait between episodes. Not this it's time. It's definitely true, we're, we're likeable and there's a long wait. Witty? I don't know. I don't know. Andrew, do you think we're, we pull that off? Witty? Um, you definitely are. I'm just here oh, to keep the... charmer. <laughs> I know how to like. keep my co-host happy, don't worry. <laughs> he sends me brownies through the post. Which is a hint, by the way. If you ever do that, that'd be great. I've sent you a badge through the post. What more I did, do you I want? did get a free badge. <laughs> That's the least I could do, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, the long wait thing. Obviously, I think I've said this a few times now. We like to treat you mean to keep you keen. It means that you're so excited when a new episode comes out because you've never heard one for what feels like 10 years of your life. Um, it is something that we do know we want to improve on. Um, it all depends on what we're doing at the time. Also, if we went through every single attraction within one year, then there'll be no more podcast. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, they have just announced a lot of new attractions. So we were waiting for that announcement, really. Very true. And as you've it seen, now the, now the rates, it's really sped up. We've planned it all. <laughs> we knew it was coming. 
Um, I'll read the next one. Insightful and fun. Five stars uh, by Caffeine Nerd. Um, that was on the 5th of March, 2018. A really good series focusing on a particular DLP attraction and topic. Good insights, fascinating facts, and the team don't take them to themselves too seriously. Recommend for anyone who loves DLP. I take myself very seriously. Hashtag book cracks. <laughs> Suck on that! <laughs> um... Yeah, we kind of came to the end of this one. Um, it's not going to beat the mega beast that is the Walt Disney Studios special. Uh, really, oh. we should have really beaten that one, though, because that was just one piece of concept art. I know there was lots of different areas, but this is a real-life breathing attraction that we can talk about. So we've let ourselves down. Over one and a half hours, still a good one. Still a big, chunky podcast, isn't it? I mean, it's a three-minute attraction, so... That is true. I think we've done well. We've managed to stretch <laughs> three minutes out for quite a while. Um, I haven't... I don't know if you've read this next bit, Simon, but so it could be a spoiler for you, and hopefully you have. I think you've ridden this attraction. Um, this is because I finally managed to do it. Um, spoilers, I'm going to talk about some badges first. Remember, uh, we mentioned the badge there that Simon got for free through the post. I don't want to give them away for free because we need to try and make a little bit of money to pay for the hosting uh, that hosts our wonderful website and the podcast, which is more wonderful than the website. That was like an earthquake then, but it was my hand hitting the microphone. Buy the magic, buy the amazing magical DLP badge from shop.magicaldlp.co.uk. I want to see pictures of you holding your badge up in the park. Um, if anybody's had a look at the badges and they think I'm not paying that for a badge, let me know because that price was kind of um, once I've put the postage on there, I thought I'll just put it at this price. So if I'm paying too, if I'm charging too much, or if you think I should be charging more, let me know and we can uh, work something out barter with me for the badges uh, so that's shop.magicaldlp.co.uk um, we mentioned this before as well Redbubble, we have some t-shirts, phone covers um, the big Thunder Mountain ones are the most popular and the Americans are lapping it up um, so that's kind of keeping us going at the moment the, po- the hosting is paid for just about, uh, but you can add to that collection as well, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash magical dlp um, next episode time uh, the focus of the next episode of the Magical DLP podcast will see me and Simon discussing Crush's Coaster, question mark, question mark, question mark. Let us know your opinions. Email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk or message us on Twitter, Facebook or via our website at magicaldlp.co.uk. Don't forget, send us your audio opinions. Q done it. Don't be scared. We've had loads of them in the past. We need them again. It just kind of adds a little bit more personality you must be sick of hearing mine and Simon vo- Simon's voices over and over again. Um, so record it on your laptop, record it on your PC, your tablet, your smartphone, and email it in. Uh, if you like what we're doing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and get in touch. The podcast is nothing without you. Have you got anything to add to our Peter Pan's flight episode, Simon? No, I don't think so. Just get excited for Crush's Coaster, because that's going to be a interesting varied bunch of opinions coming in i think yeah it's very i think it will be varied there'll be lots of love lots of hate i've finally managed to do it yeah this one's been quite a gentle gentle episode because everyone's everyone's very pro um very pro peter pan's flight but yeah crush's coaster is going to be a weird mixture of uh i mean we've had some dislike of the queue here but oh get ready for the queue of crush's coaster (laughs) oh that's gonna make some people angry so make sure if you love it or even more so if you don't like it and you hate it completely, let us know your opinions on Crush's Coaster. Email us, podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk. Send me some audio. 
just pretend you're talking to me on the phone and we'll put it in the show if that's it from you simon i'm going to say thanks for joining us for episode 18 of the magical disneyland paris podcast and until next time goodbye peter pan goodbye Get you for this fan! If it's the last thing you're doing, I'm coming, Captain! Mr. Smith! Hey, right there, Captain. Swoggle the eyes, Mr. Smith! Oh, 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 hands on deck! Uh, man the lifeboats! Don't let him get me, Smith! Oh, uh, don't let him get me! Coming! Oh. Oh. <laughs> Don't go away, Captain! I'll save you!